Hi, Sharp Scratch listeners. Just so you know, this episode was recorded slightly differently. Um, this is the first of our two-part live series all about Freshers Firsts. So, for anyone who's joined us, uh, you're listening to Sharp Scratch, episode 36, Freshers Firsts, Academics. So, I'm Anna, and I'm a final year medical student at King's. Actually, officially, properly a final year medical student. Um, I went back to placement last week, as I'm sure some of you have heard. And until recently, I worked at the BMJ as the editorial scholar, um, looking after all of the content that the BMJ produces for students, including Sharp Scratch. So, in this episode, which is our first ever live episode, which we're really excited about, we'll be talking about some of the slightly more daunting uh, tasks that you might have to do for the first time as a medical student. So first of all, if you've listened to Sharp Scratch before, obviously this episode being live will be working a little bit differently to normal. Um, If you're brand new to Sharp Scratch, welcome. So today we're going to be sharing some of our experiences and what we always hope to do is maybe a little bit of wisdom um, about starting medical school and what it's like to become a medical student. So it's kind of selfish for me actually because I'm coming to the end of my time at medical school. So I've been doing some thinking about some of the mistakes that I made at the beginning. But the most important thing today is that we really do want to hear from you. We'll be answering questions from the audience throughout the event today. So let us know what you're excited about, what you're worried about, about starting medical school if you're about to start. Or for those of you who are going back to a new year with lots of COVID changes, hopefully some of our discussion will be useful to you too. So please use the Q&A function to ask us anything or share any experiences you might want to share because we definitely want to hear from you. So for any of you who have listened to the podcast before, um, I hope you're all enjoying seeing our lovely faces for the first time and I'm absolutely delighted to be joined today by our regular panel members Andrew and Izzy. Would you guys like to introduce yourselves? Yeah, so uh, I'm Andrew. I'm a third year um, Scott Gen medical student, which is the graduate programme in Scotland between St Andrews and Dundee. Um, so yeah, I'm glad to be live. It's kind of weird, but yeah, it's good. <laughs> and I'm Izzy and I am a fourth year now uh, medical student at Nottingham. Um, so yeah, and again, yeah, it's very weird to be live. I'm really nervous, so just so that everyone who's watching knows, I'm extremely nervous. It's taken me a long time to pick the right t-shirt to wear for this, so um, I hope you all appreciate You're doing great, that. Anna. Um, and I'm... <laughs> Thanks. And I'm also absolutely delighted to be joined by today's expert guest. Would you like to introduce yourself? I, I feel I should pause now. I'm not sure I'm the expert on the panel, but... It, um... Uh, so I'm, I'm Richie O'Parka, um, I'm a pathologist in Dundee, but I'm, I'm head of first year in uh, Dundee Medical School as well, so certainly experienced plenty firsts at medical school myself and very much used to seeing our students come through uh, year on year and, and plenty of entertainment and, uh, and all the rest of it that goes along with that. Well, thank you so much for joining us this evening and we're hoping that you will definitely be an expert in terms of reassuring us that everything is going to be okay in terms of <laughs> starting medical school because I know that's something that I definitely would have appreciated mm-hmm. when I started medical school. 
So, yeah, I guess part of what I wanted to um, kind of do today in this episode was break down some of those, like, really daunting things that I think everyone worries about before they start med school. So, Andrew, you came from another degree, right? So what were you most worried about, about starting medical school? Um, yeah, so I came from pharmacy, so I did start pharmacy at Strathclyde, and I did my pre-reg year in the, the RAH hospital in Paisley. And like I'd wanted to do medicine before pharmacy, and I applied and didn't get in. Went through the whole rigmarole, and uh, so like my biggest fear was like doing it and then coming here, going through the, all the hoops you have to jump through, and then be like, "Well, oh, I don't like this. This is this is rubbish." So I was uh, I was pretty confident I would enjoy it, but like my biggest fear was like, "What if I start this and I go, what on earth am I thinking? Like, why would I want to do this?" But thankfully that didn't happen, and uh, like the first couple of weeks I was like, "Yeah, no, I've made the right decision." So. Um, uh, yeah, that that was my biggest fear, and uh, thankfully it was like just quite short lived, and quite quickly I was kind of convinced that I'd made the right decision. So, yeah, but it was still uh, it was in the back of my mind when I was like moving up and everything. You know, it was kind of stressful, but no, it went well. It's been good. And what about you? Izzy? I was just thinking about this, and I I know this sounds weird, but I genuinely think it was a lecture theatre. I was absolutely terrified of because I hadn't really known what a lecture was before medical school, and I think. I think it's so different to, you know, being in sixth form and A-levels where it was just a class of maybe, like, you know, up to about 30 people max. But here there was going to be at least 200 people in the same place all learning. I thought, is it going to be competitive? I didn't realise that it wasn't just going to be blackboards. I, I forgot the fact that um, we now live in the 21st century and, uh, my, and PowerPoint exists, which has made things a lot easier in my life. <laughs> but, yeah, I think it was the, you know, the change in terms of, coming from you know I came straight from school I didn't take a gap year or anything suddenly thrown into a new place I'd never been away from home I was 18 I was terrified but you know to find out that lecture theatres aren't as terrifying as you think is great (laughs) so to be fair one of our lecture theatres at King's did until recently have a blackboard um they only changed it about a year ago which I always found quite I, I quite liked that. I thought it was quite cute. I, I'd quite like quaint. a blackboard, yeah. <laughs> I just can't keep up. <laughs> I'd like to do a wee bit of sketching in the middle of a lecture. That sounds like quite good fun. <laughs> so we're definitely going to talk about lectures, but one thing that I wanted to talk about a little bit, which I'm hoping that Richie is going to be able to help us with, is one of the kind of biggest things that I think people said to me when I told them that I was going to go to medical school was about dissection and about how you're going to cope with kind of seeing dead bodies and dissecting dead bodies and I don't know if you guys Izzy and Andrew I don't know if you do like full body dissection at your unis because um, I know some unis don't do that Um, we do full body dissection (laughs) we do it in our first year as well so I know that is absolutely terrifying especially you know the only thing I'd ever seen dissected before university was a fish we did a uh, prosection, so for people who don't know, prosection is when the, the people who are actually really good anatomists um, <laughs> will, will cut up the body for you and like present yeah. it present it properly and present it in the kind of way where you've got the best chance of being able to make out what, what things actually are, which sounds bizarre, like you should know what a, a leg and an arm and a hand and things look like, but actually becomes really difficult really quite quickly. So we would we do it in like pro sections. So you go around in small groups, and they set up like eight to ten stations, and you work your you work your way around with like ten minutes each, and um, that's that's how we did it, um, uh, which worked quite well because cause ours is like accelerated, they're like you don't have time to be doing dissection, and we're going to do it for you, and 
and uh, it made it easier in some respects but I still found anatomy really really hard so I mean yeah. following <laughs> on good. from that I mean you're saying about a leg and an arm I I may or may not in my first year of spotter mistaken a kneecap for an elbow so I mean <laughs> it's easily done yeah. <laughs> so I mean they're pretty they both similar, bend right? they the bend the knees the elbow yeah. the leg <laughs> So, Richie, in your experience from being both a pathologist and working with first-year medical students, do you think this is something that people find daunting about, like, starting medical school? It seems like it's kind of a rite of passage, right, to yeah, and see I think your first dead body. It's, it's a kind of scary thing, but it's usually an exciting thing for most people as well. Uh, and, and, and we do full body dissection in Dundee, and we've got, we've got teal cadavers as well, which are a kind of fancy thing. Uh, so usually a lot of our students come to us knowing that we've got these teal cadavers and they're, they're usually really excited to do it. Uh, I, I, usually if people do find it a bit scary, it's usually just for the first 10 minutes or the first time in the dissection room and, and usually after that they're fine. Uh, I mean, the thing that always amazes me is, is that, you know, uh, you know, from the age of 18 months, two years, most of us work out that poo and pee come from somewhere inside our body. But But no matter... You know, it doesn't matter once you come to first year and somebody opens up the abdomen, absolutely everybody is terrified at the fact that they've come across some feces in there. And I'm not quite sure where they were <laughs> expecting them to be, but, you know, it, and it's and it's not as gory as, as, as it might be, but it cracks me up every year that people go, what, oh, what's that stuff? And you go, well, it's, it's poo. Where did you think the poo was going to be? <laughs> But yeah, I mean, most students really enjoy dissection, I think. And, yeah. and I think a lot of people will come to a medical school that offers dissection because they want to do it. And, and you know, it's one of these things that, especially nowadays, really is a great privilege to be able to do. Not everybody gets yeah. to do that. And as you say, it is that kind of rite of passage. And, and, you know, you can learn it in other ways, but actually getting the time to explore it yourself, I think, really helps embed it a bit more. So, yeah, it's a cool mm -hmm. thing. Uh, and it's a yeah. great privilege for students to get to do it. And, and it is daunting and it is scary, but usually, you know, that goes away very, very quickly. And, and it becomes almost, you know, not quite routine, but you get used to it very quickly. We yeah, had, we had, it was... Um... No, go ahead. I was going to say, we had a cool thing where our very first um, session in the section room was, um, was like an orientation and they had, you know, some bodies out and they had some pro sections out. And it was basically just like wander around and, and just pick things up or have a look at it. But one of the stations was they had you know a, a full um, body on display, but they had the person's life story. It was like anonymized, but they had their whole life story, and it was like I told you like um, about their their family, what they wanted to be when they grew up, what they became, what they did with their life, and then like how they retired and all that sort of stuff, and like how they wanted to. Be. And it was like it gave you the person's life story, and it made it like really real, like really quite quickly, and it made you kind and of. You made you realise how kind of privileged you were to, to sort of just be in that place and be able to learn that way. And that was that was yeah, really good and like kind of brought it all That's absolutely lovely. Home. I mean, we did it in reverse. Yeah, it's really... So we, we never knew our cadaver's name. We, all we knew was yeah. their cause of death. And even some of them, we didn't even know yeah. the cause of death. But then we all had the opportunity to attend their funerals afterwards with the family. And yeah. it was yeah, absolutely well, like, yeah. you know, during, you know, the cadaver, like some people to deal with the dehumanization aspect of it will make up a name for their cadaver in some way just to give it that human aspect and to find out their real name was really like you know and it just made it really real and you know I still can remember that name straight off the top of my head and I will always yeah. remember that name I will never forget that yeah it's quite an emotional thing that so I attend our 
service every year and a lot of our students actually there's there's a competition in Dundee and a lot of them will write uh, some poems and, and, and actually this year actually somebody wrote a song that um, frankly if it wasn't about the section would be a number one record but uh, <laughs> but it's it's a really it's a really emotional thing and it, and it's great to see that even in first year that the, the students have got that level of maturity to appreciate you know, as you say, that that kind of experience they've been given, and 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 the families, it must mean a huge amount to the families. So, mm. it's it's one of these. As again, it's a kind of rite of passage, I think, in medical school, and and it's certainly mm. something that's that's a, a real privilege and a nice thing to be part of for those those services. Yeah, definitely. And I think at at Kings they kind of I so I chose Kings partially because they did do full body dissection, um, and at Kings they kind of present your cadaver that you're working on as as being like your first patient and it's I guess it's kind of similar to what you were saying Andrew you know you kind of go through and there's various different like tasks that you have to do but I think there is a there's an element of like being totally surreal being in a dissection lab like I always found or at least the first few times that I went um because we have something at King's called the Gordon Museum which is like anatomical specimens I'd been there quite a few times but the first time I went to the actual anatomy lab I remember I was just standing there with my lab coat on, just kind of like taking everything in and just completely casually one of the lab techs like walked across the room with a trolley that was just full of different like arms and hands, just like cut off at various different levels. And I just remember thinking like my brain can't process what I'm seeing. And it was just so utterly surreal. And I just still have this image in my head of all of these arms and hands and I just couldn't stop thinking about it for like the next couple of weeks like it really is a totally foreign experience I think in some ways and I think it's okay to like allow yourself to have those feelings about it because it is it's totally it, it it's a it's a total privilege and it's a rite of passage but it is also like totally disjointed yeah. from any other experience that you might and like especially if you're like 18 and like you see other people your age like going to uni and like studying other stuff and you're like and I've literally just like sat and you could see like a poorly presented powerpoint in one hour and then the next hour you're you're in a dissection room it's like yeah a big switch <laughs> yeah yeah it can be like totally surreal but I think people are always worried about fainting <laughs> yeah they, they yeah. said that they said that to us that they're like Oh, or if anybody faints, but nobody did. Everyone was fine. Like you said, like the first ten minutes are quite strange, and you're like, "Am I going to faint? Am I?" You think you're safe, and then you feel like oh, that's when they get you. That's when you faint. But uh, no, it was, it was, everyone was fine. We didn't us. have any fainters, but people do get hit by the smell of formaldehyde. Yeah, yeah. Smell, yeah. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> um, which I don't know why. I, I, I like things like that, and it, that's just typical future pathology. I, I know. I know. Pathology. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, but... I think two things for the smell: double glove, always double glove, and no hot taps. This is this is years as working as a pathologist. If you have a hot tap on, the smell rises in the steam. If whatever you're doing at a sink, so always the cold tap and double glove. There you go. So, Richie, do you have any like top tips for people apart from the double glove, which I think is a really is a really good tip? Um, that's not something anyone told me, but I wish they had. Um, do you have any other top tips for people like going into their first like dissection or um, kind of pre-section session? I mean, I, th- I, th- I think you know, I, I think the the there's a site of mythology about people fainting, and actually, people fainting in the dissection labs is reasonably uncommon. 
Uh, and I'm sure the anatomy technicians are all running a book and trying to work out who's going to go first. But uh, <laughs> I, I, it actually is relatively rare that that happens. And, and I, what I would say is I wouldn't build it up. I think if you get nervous about these things and uh, you, you build it up, then you are more likely to be affected by it. And, and I think if you go in there being reasonably relaxed about it and you know that you're going to get hit by the smell and, and you kind of take it as it comes and take it for what it is, you're fine. I think any situation where you build it up to be more than it is, is you're more likely to get anxious. And, and I suspect they're the people that end up fainting. Eat first. Is that, <laughs> yeah. is that more sensible advice? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I always ate some biscuits like immediately before I went in. I, I still do that. If I, if I think I'm going to have to go to theatre, I'll take a packet of digestives with me. I think other practical things that people say is like, you are standing up, don't lock your knees. Like that sounds like a really stupid thing to say, but it is true. Your your gastrocnemius is a uh, is full of circulation, so you should make sure you wiggle your toes around so that the blood continues to return Spoken to your like brain. A um, <laughs> I know. Do you know. I actually think in, genuinely. I think I've heard of more people fainting in theatre because they're standing for so long than I have in an anatomy dissection department. You fainted? Uh, I didn't. Okay. <laughs> So in Nottingham, we have a funny time. In, in Nottingham, we have um, before we do dissection, we'll have clinical experience. Um, I just so so we're in a GP. Um, I just so happened to be put with a GP who was doing the minor surgery list that day, and I was not mentally, physically, my I had not eaten that morning uh, because I'd been up at I'd been up because I was in halls and there wasn't time for breakfast, uh, but a sebaceous cyst removal on the back of the neck. I fully blacked out. I was still standing, nice. but like the GP was like, are you all right? And I was like, I'm fine, <laughs> no. I just can't see. <laughs> and, and I still can't, like, you know, when you get on TV, like you get Dr. Pimple Pop, I can't do it. <laughs> I've got a dermatology rotation starting next week and I'm like, I'm gonna get over it. So, you know, you go into your fourth year and you still have these worries, um, so. Yeah, there's absolutely no shame yeah. in, in feeling funny, like, there, I mean, there really isn't. Just make sure that you sit down if you are. Actually I mean, I say it now and laugh about it. I mean, and I think they know you. Yeah. Like medical students, I know in Nottingham, will wear you know certain scrub caps. They're white, and they so they know that if you see a white cap go down, you know what it is. It's fine. <laughs> so <laughs> that's good color coding. I like that. <laughs> So, um, yeah, I guess we will take some questions from the audience. So our friend Nikki has been monitoring the questions for us. Um, I hope that this has been interesting enough for people to actually ask questions. questions. (laughs) Yeah, we do have a few questions, actually. One question we've had is how different is it when you are dissecting a cadaver to surgical dissection? That might be a question for Richie. Yeah, um, it, it can be very different. Uh, I, I guess it, it depends on uh, how the bodies are prepared for anatomical dissection, basically. So if they're fixed in formalin or chloroform or a kind of traditional method, the bodies are very stiff and, and the soft tissues are very hard and very firm as well. They're quite gristly. Uh, and I guess one thing that I, it, it's funny, but you don't really anticipate, I think, is that you, you would imagine there would be blood everywhere as well, and there's, and there's not. Uh, you know, it's kind of weird brown clotted blood that you come across when you're when you're doing anatomical dissection in a lab. Uh, whereas in theatre, obviously, it, it, it's live, it's beating, and, and there's fresh red blood everywhere. So it, it really is quite different. We we we're quite lucky in Dundee. So I, I mentioned we've got these two cadavers. Am I allowed to just give random punts to Dundee all the time? Is that? Uh, yeah, is that... 
I'm assuming that's okay. But in, in Dundee, we, we have uh, teal cadavers, and, and it's a special embalming method with far less formalin in them. And, and the whole point of them is that uh, everything remains very supple, mm. uh, and it's about as close to what it would feel like in surgery as, as you can get, uh, uh, so to speak. Um, so, it, so it does vary quite significantly. But, you know, the anatomy is the same. And I guess that's that's the main point. And in first year medical school, where we're, you know nobody's expecting you to be a surgeon. Uh, we just want you to learn the anatomy, not how to do an operation. So, so one other question that I think is quite interesting because everyone's spoken a lot about their positive experiences with dissection. Someone's asked whether people don't like dissection. If that's a normal thing. Yeah, loads of people don't like dissection. I mean, I, I, I'm sorry, I'm just jumping in, but I, I think in some ways that's one of the good things about medicine. And, and I, we were chatting to Andrew earlier and he was he was saying that the, one of the biggest fears was that he would do medicine and end up not liking it. But compared to a lot of undergraduate courses and, and postgraduate courses, medicine's really, there's a lot of variety. You know, the, the dissection room is about as far as you can get from a general practice room. I mean, here's you guys doing a podcast just now there's this kind of medical journalism, there's legal stuff you can get involved with, there's pathology, there's surgery. So it, it, just because you don't like one bit of the course doesn't mean you won't like the others. And actually, I wouldn't expect to turn up and enjoy everything 100% of the time. Um, you know, as much as I'm keen to plug Dundee Medical School, you know, there will be pretty rubbish lectures from time to time and nobody's going to enjoy everything all the time. And that's kind of life. Uh, and, and obviously, from what we're talking about, smells and, and yuckiness, people are not going to like that. Uh, but there'll be other bits of the course that they do like. Um, so I, I, I think increasingly, I think people want to come to medical school and a lot of people put on this facade of, of being ultra enthusiastic about absolutely everything 100% of the time. And, and, and that's not likely to be the case for everybody. And, and a bit of honesty is quite a good thing, I think. You're, you're, you're more than entitled to not like certain things and that doesn't make you less of a medic or more of a medic. I, I think dissection in particular is a marmite subject you even love it or you hate it there's a few more i can think of epidemiology um uh global health now they're coming a lot more interesting you can put it into context it's a little bit hard when you're sitting there in first year like i don't know haven't experienced a pandemic but <laughs> now you might um but you know histology is another one you either love it or you hate it and it changes as well i mean i hated histology <laughs> Uh, as a student, I did, and uh, you know there there might well be Dundee medical students on here, but I, I never used to turn up because I hated it so much. Um, and I did, I didn't like histology at all, and and I, I didn't really pay attention in pathology as an undergraduate, and I stumbled across pathology um, as an FY two. Uh, so just the things that you don't like early on, you might end up liking later on as well. So you, you know you you kind of change and you adapt and you grow. So. Okay, cool. So I think we're going to um, go on to talking about something that Izzy, you mentioned earlier, which I think a lot of people are really nervous about, about going to medical school. Um, and I think it's something that was definitely on my mind before I started was like the amount of work that I would be expected to do um, and going to lectures and tutorials. And like you say, it, is, it can be quite different, obviously, depending on what kind of school you went to and stuff. Um, at King's there's about 400 or so medics per year so the lectures are like genuinely enormous they're held in this massive lecture theatre I remember being massively intimidated the first time I walked in there um, so I was in halls and there was no other medics in my block so I had no one to even walk to the lecture theatre with and I got lost my first my first day there obviously um, 
and yeah it was it was really intimidating to kind of walk in at the front like slightly late and see all of those people there um do you guys remember your first lectures at medical school uh so in the depths of memory andrew (laughs) (laughs) so i come from pharmacy when by the end of pharmacy there was about 220 folk in our year and then coming to scott gym there was 55 so like ours felt like really quite um like quite like everyone knew each other you know and it was like a fairly kind of normal room that you would have uh like not even lectures in just like kind of like meetings you know it wasn't like a full-size lecture hall there was one in st andrews that they used for the the undergrads but um for us it was just like kind of normal rooms and we like um everyone came from degrees so for for me it wasn't too much of a, a bad thing but um yeah, it was it was like quite uh, quite social. It was kind of everyone could just like have a chat, have a coffee, and then the lecture would start and like, interrupt us. So um, yeah, it was it was kind of <laughs> a bit different, but yeah, it was, it was really it was really good. It was probably not not actually much point us talking about what it was like to go into our first lectures because it's probably going to be so different now. Um, but I think there's definitely like parallels and stuff, and I think what you were saying, Andrew, about the kind of social side of of lectures, it's like that's something that I think is going to be really difficult for people to kind of capture in like an online way. Um, But I know at King's they're running, they're trying quite hard to run a lot of um, sort of online social things or like very small socially distance social things. And I think that is really important because I mean, that's what, that's what we do on this podcast, right? We talk about kind of stuff that you only learn by talking to people who are in like the year above or you know that know someone who is in third year and they give you their notes and and things like that so i think i think that's massive and and as andrew said that kind of five minute coffee before and after and between the lectures you almost get more from that sometimes than you do from the lecture itself despite it you know me droning on for 45 minutes and and we've had loads of debates in Dundee about whether we should just you know scrap lectures and go completely online anyway, and that that was before COVID we were chatting about that. But it's and I remember being a medical student, and it's those kind of five minutes before and after where you kind of check in with people and you find out you know oh so and so's already done that that kind of written submission and handed it in, and you've not started it yet, so you better get going. <laughs> and you know who's started studying, who's not started studying, and and do we See, need to know that? Do we not need difference. to know that? Like for us, it's like do we have time to go to the cafe and back in those five minutes? And it's like in general, everyone looking at it, is everyone going to do it? Who's going to go first? Yeah. <laughs> And Richie, in your experience um, working with first year medical students, I do think people get very nervous about how much work they're going to be expected to do and whether they're going to be able to to keep on top of that amount of work. So what would you say to people who are going into medical school about the kind of workload? So, I mean, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because as you guys know, medicine's a big subject uh, and and it can be pretty intimidating. And sometimes you pick those textbooks off the shelf and and they're pretty intimidating. Uh, but at the same time, you know, people want to do medicine because it's a difficult subject and there's lots to learn. And and by the virtue of the fact you got into medical school, you're, you're pretty good at learning lots of information. The thing I think most students struggle with when they come from school to, to medical school and, and probably actually to any university course is not really knowing what to do with a lecture. You know, you, you don't go to school and get given a lecture. You know, the, the teacher doesn't stand there and talk at you for 45 minutes. So you're not left afterwards trying to wonder what, what you do with it all. And, and the kind of mistakes that you see fairly commonly are, are people trying to, to keep up with that. So if you've had two lectures, three lectures, the, the last thing you want to do is go home that night 
and, and try and mm-hmm. redo those two or three lectures. And that's another two hours out of your life and, and, and uh, that must be miserable. So I think that the crucial thing is to try, and, I think, for students to find some sort of efficient way of doing it. Uh, and, and the easiest way to do that, and, and uh, you guys can chip in because it'd be nice to hear what you think. I think if a student can kind of identify the story that's being told, and that sounds really naff, and I kind of hate myself for saying it, I should leave now. Shouldn't <laughs> no, I no, said that. no, no one will know. No one will know. <laughs> okay, okay. But but I think there, 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 you know, there's there's a narrative to what's going on, and and I think you just need to follow that almost, and then you can kind of go to a textbook or whatever resource you find useful and follow it that way. You, you, you're just never going to keep up with lectures, mm. but if you kind of follow the thread of what they're talking about, so if you're doing lungs and they're talking about asthma. You know, if you know we're talking about asthma, you can go and read about asthma. You, you don't need to keep up with the six lectures that were on asthma that week. Uh, and I think, you know, uh, you know, Izzy was talking about you don't need to go to everything. You also, you also don't need to keep on top of every lecture that you've had as well. But you, you do need to keep in touch and follow that thread. But you, you certainly don't need to feel the pressure of, I haven't written those three lectures up yet. And, because you're just going to grind to a halt. You've got to find a yeah. way to do it efficiently. And, uh, you know, a lot of lectures, there's a bit of overlap as well. So, you know, the first, I, I remember someone talking to me about their uh, diabetes lectures and, and their endocrine block. And, and so Banting and Best were the guys that discovered insulin. And I think every single lecture they had that week, the first three slides included a photograph of Banting and Best and their dogs. <laughs> and you know, it was like, yeah, we, we, we know who they are now. You know, so, and, and you would like that not to be the case, but th- there is a fair bit of crossover between the lectures. So, but I, I think you just need to follow that thread and, and pick up the story and follow that story and then read around it. You don't need to panic about, uh, you know, taking everything in 100% of the time. And, and my, you know, people talk about in, in medical education circles about being mature and adult learners. I've never met one yet. I, I'm not an adult learner. I'm certainly not a mature learner. And my concentration span is, you know, I, I switched off from this podcast about 20 minutes ago, guys. <laughs> <laughs> and no one can sit through three lectures and take it all in you know if you if you take in the first five minutes and you know what they're talking about and then you switch on again at the five minutes at the end when they're summarizing you're, you're probably doing pretty well <laughs> yeah I think that was one thing that I I would definitely say is like I feel like my attention span has massively decreased from when I was in sixth form and I used to be able to just sit and like wade through an A-level syllabus and like actually just take it all in and it was something that I found I did find quite distressing when I got to medical school I was like I've only done three hours of work today and I don't feel like I can do any more but actually the nature of the information because it's so like you're saying some of it some of it does overlap and some of it can be quite dry and not necessarily taught in a way that suits you your like personal style not all that like visual and audio that I mean I know that that's all complete load of rubbish but um but people do have learning styles and yeah my attention span is definitely now quite short um so I tend to like do very small chunks of work um and that's just not how I did it when I was at school so my, like I remember in my first year being like quite kind of annoyed with myself about that um but that's just not like that's just not productive and if that happens to you like honestly don't worry about it like you will still pass your exams and if you don't it's not the end of the world like I've failed an exam um I failed my first ever exam in second year and I was absolutely devastated but it was fine (laughs) like nothing nothing bad happened and I think people you know in my experience like staff at the university always very understanding if um 
you know things are getting a bit too much and you need a bit of extra support i don't know if that's similar to you guys experiences yeah, as uh, well definitely. Do you know, i was, was going to ask you guys what your experience of it is but but having done it for a while and seeing students come through i think students nowadays are more paranoid that they're not mm-hmm. good enough than, than they used to be in the past i don't know if that's a fair comment or not but but it may be because i'm more involved with students now than i used to be uh, but certainly i experience a lot of students who, who get into the lecture theater and and there's 200 other people there and they look around and think i'm not as clever as these people here uh, and 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 you know if they're not keeping up with the lectures and they're not doing as well as other people, they get really paranoid about that that they don't deserve to be there or that they're going to struggle, and and that's never the case, you know. And and I try very hard to say, look, if 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 we let you in, then we know you're good enough. And if you're not doing well, it's it's usually kind of our fault. It's you know it's the academic team's fault that that we're not supporting you or teaching in the right way or finding the way that's right for you to do it. Uh, but but you know so so for those people out there who are coming you know you're you're definitely good enough you're already good enough uh, you don't need to look around the room and, and think that you don't deserve mm-hmm. to be there I mean I'd follow on from that and say like if you follow me on Twitter or anything you'll know that I, I do struggle with my mental health quite a lot and in my first year I thought really good idea I'm not going to tell anyone about that um, at all uh, I didn't tell my friends didn't tell my tutor didn't tell the university or anything and I got into that sort of situation I was like oh I'm not good enough for this like and I stopped attending lectures. So I went two weeks without going to anything. And then I got a backlog at home. No one knew that I had this because no one was thinking, probably should check up on her. And I was just saying, oh no, I'm, I'm fine. I'm just, I'm busy, you know, or I've got other stuff to do. And, you know, once I actually worked out in, I think it was May or first year, she'll probably get some help here without this. And I told my tutor and she was like, why didn't you say like, you could like, it's not a bad thing. If I was thought, I'm just going to get kicked off the course because I've got anxiety, I've got depression. I, I, people are going to think, oh, um, you're not good enough to be a doctor. You're not strong. You don't have the capabilities. Um, but, you know, the medical school kind of were like, it's stronger for you to actually say that and like get the help you need. And like, I'm in my fourth year and I have almost weekly contact with my tutor. And it's just literally just checking up. You're right. Like, how are things going? Let me know if you need any help. And I think that's kind of a good thing to have because I'd never have had that support. I probably wouldn't have, I'd have probably dropped out of medical school if I hadn't had that support. Just because it's, you can say, oh yeah, I can get through things by myself. But sometimes you think, actually, it could be quite useful to have that second opinion. And I can't stress this enough to new medical students. Like whenever I see if like I'm talking to someone on, like who I know that's going to medical school, I'm like, disclose any information that you feel comfortable with, of course, but they're not going to... They're not going to say, like, turn around and go, oh, you have anxiety. Sorry, you're not allowed in the course. From In my experience, it makes yeah, me I, I, a better, I'm... more empathetic student when I come across patients who suffer from similar things. I'm like, yeah, I actually know how you feel. And that helps. Uh, yeah, and I think it's really useful for you to bring that up. And I, and I think students are worried that there's a kind of stigma associated with anything like that. Um, and and that when they go and tell a, a member of academic staff or their tutor that it's going to be a kind of surprise in some way or, or as you say they're going to be judged but the reality is we, we've we've we, we've either experienced it ourselves uh, or we've seen it in others a hundred times before um, and and again it, and it's the same with failing I, I I you know especially with first year medical students they're very scared of failing but actually I don't think there should be that big a stigma associated with it 
you know, it, it, I'm, I'm a consultant now, but between first year of medical school and finishing your training and whatever you go to, you know, if you took a cohort of 100 people, there won't be, there might be one out of the 100 who got there straight through without feeling anything. And, and, and it's probably a similar number who got there without some sort of mental health hiccup along the way as well. Uh, so, so it's one of these things that actually you're worried that there'll be a stigma associated with it, but, but the academics won't worry about it. And I would imagine most classmates are, are probably in the same boat and wishing that they had said something as well. And, and if you do say something, then they, they might think, right, okay, fine, I, I don't feel out of place here. There's a lot of people who are in the same boat as me. So I, I really do think that there shouldn't be and there isn't that much stigma associated with that mm. kind of thing. Yeah, I totally agree. Like, I totally agree with what everyone said. Um, I think there's a few things that hap- will happen to everybody. One of the things that happens is everyone forgets, you know, the expectations of you as a student. Actually, not that high from, you know, people like yourself, like your consultants who, the consultant giving you the lecture will know a lot more about what they're teaching you because of the fact that they're a consultant and you, you don't have to know everything they know. Like a graduate standpoint, people are used to, like, delving really deep into... You know, things, you know, the people have done PhDs and, and stuff like that and then have to go and switch to medicine where what you actually need to know is maybe not that deep and not as scientific or, or whatever, but there's there's a lot of it. You know, a lot of people will have to, like, switch up how they learn, as you said, like, learn more efficiently. And, and that yeah. can be quite tough from somebody who's, you know, maybe already had a PhD, maybe somebody who's really, you know, experienced in something, going back to being a student and then going, oh, wait, like, all my tricks don't work here. Like, what's going on? And then the thing yeah. starts to set in is like, uh, maybe maybe I can't do this. Like maybe I'm not good enough. And and that's think, like the sort of trap you can sort of find yourself in. And you and yeah. you just have to recognise that 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 is normal. And like you will get through it. And it's important to sort of you know if you feel like you're I struggling. I come across yeah, a lot yeah. of of postgraduate students with exactly that thought that you know because they've done a degree before they worry that everybody's looking at them thinking, okay, those guys are going to nail this. They've yeah, done university. Yeah. Uh, and, and as you say, it actually can be very different from most people's kind of fourth year, final year in another science subject's project based. You know, they're, yeah. doing, they're in the lab and they're doing science. And as you say, they're really delving into a subject. And that's not what you do in first year medical school at all. Do you know, you know what they say the difference between a medical student and a consultant is? More money. It's, 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 I, I built that up to sound like it was going to be funny, but it's not. They, they say that uh, being a medical student, you, you know very little about everything. And then when you become a consultant, you know everything about very little. That's, that's yeah. what they say. And it's true. You know, we, as you say, in first year, we don't expect you to know everything about every subject. We just, you know, you need to cover a, a broad range of stuff, but not to any great depth. Cool. So we're going to talk about something that I think is more fun than lectures, which is seeing actual patients. Um, but first, I'm hoping we're going to have a message from our sponsors. How much do you care about indemnity right now? Probably not a lot. You're still a few years away from really worrying about claims and complaints from patients. But being part of medical protection is about a lot more than just indemnity. We can be there if something goes wrong, but we're also here to help make sure things go right too. We're the only medical defence organisation that protects doctors all over the world. From London to Brisbane, Cork to Cape Town, 300,000 members benefit from our expert advice and support throughout their career. During your years at medical school, your membership is completely free. You'll get training resources that can help you become an even better doctor 
plus a dedicated student team there for you when you need it most. And when it comes to your elective, you can trust in our international experience to protect you wherever you choose to go. It's no wonder that 90% of medical students in the UK choose to be part of medical protection. You can find out more at medicalprotection.org. Okay, so we've talked about some of the non-clinical academic firsts you'll have when you start medical school, but we've not yet got to what I consider to be the the big one, the, the time when, you know, I really sort of felt like I had made it and I was actually a medical student, which was when I went to see my first patient. And I know, again, like in COVID times, this might be a little bit different um, than it would be in a normal year. But I think it was something that I kind of, just wanted to touch on as we come to the end of our time together um so richie do you still remember your first patient no <laughs> no <laughs> do you know well i'm just okay so if it's not memorable that's fine as well i think i so i i, I do vaguely um I remember feeling, you know, like you were a kind of different kind of student because you were turning up that day and you had your kind of shirt and tie on for your lectures because that afternoon you had to go and see a patient. So it does feel very different. And and I mean, I think the, the, the thing I remember most about those early patient contacts is really not knowing what to say most of the time and those prolonged silences. And um, you get very good at talking about the weather, uh, you know, and, and, and it, so things tend to dry up very quickly. That's what I have a vivid memory of, is that you kind of go through your list of five questions and then you're still trying to talk to somebody whilst thinking in your own head what to ask next uh, because it's not natural to you at that point. You know, it doesn't, the questions just don't, don't just roll off the tongue. So I, I remember those kind of prolonged pauses of thinking, right, what am I going to ask next? And not quite getting there and then just plumbing for the, so, uh, so I hear it's going, to be a, 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 it's going to be sunny for the rest of the week. Uh, you know, it's, it's always your fallback. And, and I remember watching other students do it, and, and they still do it to this day. That, and, and, and I don't know why, but one of the things they always ask if they run out of things to ask is, do you have any pets? And it, and it doesn't matter what the history is, but if somebody is struggling, I don't know what it is, but for some reason, the thing they always reach for is, do you have any pets? And, I, and I'm sure I must have done it every time as well. But that, that's my lasting memory is those kind of awkward pauses. And, and you know, I, I think everybody's going to experience that. And, and usually the patients you see very early on are incredibly understanding and they love seeing medical students. So they're not going to be worried about you feeling awkward. And, and they're usually pretty good at putting you at your ease. We get, do you happen to keep pigeons? <laughs> it's a very common yeah. one. <laughs> we don't know what to say. <laughs> Any parrots in the yeah. house? I remember the second time I ever went to see a patient. So we didn't have that much patient contact um, at King's in our first year. But I've been to St Thomas's and then I went down to Croydon Hospital and I went to see a patient and the nurse ushered me in and she was like, here's, a, here's you know, uh, Mr So-and-so. And she said, sir this lovely young doctor's here and she's going to tell you um, she's going to tell you exactly what the plan is and what's going on and no when pressure. you're going to be able to go home and I looked at her with just this sheer <laughs> terror in my face and I was like no I'm not I'm, I'm a medical student <laughs> and I just remember that that was like quite distressing for me as like a very early <laughs> patient contact um but yeah just introducing yourself is obviously very important because I'd obviously oh. not introduce myself clearly enough on I that forgot occasion. to introduce myself in all of my OSCE stations in first year and that is how you fail an OSCE in your first year <laughs> <laughs> and I've never done it since and that's a tip you, you learn from your mistakes don't worry about doing silly Definitely. things like that such as forgetting to introduce yourself or 
even better forgetting to ask the patient's name or their date of birth or asking them <laughs> multiple times yeah, I did. I, I was seeing a patient once and I got to the end and I was like, did I ever ask them their name? Um, I'll just ask them again quickly at the end. And they were like, you did already ask me at the beginning. I was like, well, we have been talking for about 45 minutes. So. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, what about you? Do you have any um, like memorable patient um, contacts from your trying first to think. year? The first patient, we so we saw our first week, we were in the GP practice seeing patients, which was like really daunting because it's like, well, like straight in there. And uh um, we have like a sort of GP mentor type thing in like a small group so it's really good and you get to see patients um, and the GPs have usually worked there for a long time so they know exactly who to bring in who'll be good and who'll be really nice like, as you said all the patients you see will be really nice and I think that's the thing that surprised me most like I don't want to be like oh I thought everyone would be really mean but everyone's actually really nice to medical students and you sort of quite quickly realise how privileged you are and um and how much patience people have for you and, and actually even saying to people like hold on can you just wait a minute while I actually think about what I actually have to say to you because I've just lost my train of thought people are like totally fine with it which is really um not what you expect I remember the first patient we ever saw um they were actually uh, unwell that they had a chest infection and stuff and uh, our GP was like all right get your stethoscopes and we'll, we'll have a listen and I was like well you haven't done stethoscope week like what are you talking about like I can't, <laughs> I can't just jump in with a stethoscope um and, uh, and <laughs> had to go and like heard some crackles and it was great like um and you know but the, the weirdest thing to me was that the patient was like unwell had a chest infection the GP examined them and, and listened to them was like go up me and uh, my colleague to have a listen as well and like the the patient was clearly like in pain like you know had a chest infection it was sore to breathe and, uh, and they were like do you, do you mind if the medical students have listened she was like yeah and it was like so selfless I was like if it was me I'd have been like no like I do not I do not like breathing just now, it's painful, like get them out of here. But like the like ninety nine percent of patients are much nicer than me and you're more than happy for you to like learn and stuff like that. And like you start to really you know yeah, you start to get the picture of like what it actually means to do medicine and be a doctor quite quickly because you know, patients are pretty really nice, you know, and it's yeah, good way to learn. Mm. And I think it is a it again i think we've used this word privilege quite a few times which is not one of my favorite words (laughs) um but (laughs) um you know i think you do see you do sort of feel quite quickly how busy the doctors are particularly if you're on a ward like the junior doctors are always really busy they've got a long list of jobs and you actually do have the time to go and sit with the patient like i remember this wasn't when i was in first year this was when i was a bit more senior but I do remember going to one particular patient who I went to see every day for um, a number of weeks and you know it was it was just because we we got on well and I'd taken a history from him a few times and and I just went to have a chat with him and you know you're 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 probably not going to get as much of an opportunity to do that when you when you are an actual doctor so um I think just enjoy and there's definitely times where I've had like really awkward silences and stuff but I think on the other hand you do have this kind of extra time that you can spend with people and I think sometimes patients do really genuinely appreciate that especially if they've been in the hospital for a long time because it's pretty boring being in a hospital so mm. I remember the first exam we ever learned was a like sore it was like sore throat week so we learned how to do like a neck exam and then uh, we had simulated patients in, so like people who are actors or people who live locally come in and you get to learn to do your exam on them as if they're a real patient. And uh, they, uh, usually what we do is we do the exam or the, the, this, the, the kind of scenario and then the, doc, the GP will 
GP and your group are watching on and they usually ask the simulated patient for feedback and uh, the, the woman was like, you've got piano fingers, you're, you're too light, you're too light, you need to be, you need to get in like a, a lot deeper and I was, and, you know, you're just scared to like touch people and like actually, like you don't want to hurt yeah. somebody um, and then you have to actually learn like, no, like you have to actually find things, like you can't just act, like you have to actually do it. So, I remember, I remember yeah. palpating the abdomen of a simulated patient and then uh, she was like, was that your, was that your, um, your deep, like, like, was it pressure? And I was like, yeah, I think she, she get, I don't want to hurt you. And she just literally took my hand. She goes, right, that is how deep you compress. And I was like, oh, that's about 10 times yeah. about as hard as I was, I, I, I was doing. Yeah. It cracks me up, you know, so the, the OSCE exams, when you get to see the students examining, and as you, you know, there, there might be students uh, or people who are coming to medical school, yeah, but when you're examining an abdomen, as Izzy says, you kind of do it softly first to make sure the patient's not sore, and then you go deeper and deeper and deeper. But what happens in an early OSCE is nobody, everybody's terrified to, to hurt the patient. So they kind of do this gently, 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 and then they do it just as gently on their deeper palpation, but they lean more. <laughs> they, they don't actually go any further down, but they lean into it, and they, you know, I'm doing it deep now, doctor. You can see me, give me a mark for my exam. But, but yeah, everybody's terrified of, of making a patient feel uncomfortable. And then you see a yeah. consultant or a registrar doing it and they can just lay into the patient. <laughs> yeah, percussing as well. When oh. <laughs> I remember the first time I percussed someone in Oski and it was like so gentle and I was like, I, I, I can't still You're like missing your finger. I still struggle to do it. <laughs> yeah, I'm you're, missing you're your finger. You'll come back from a hospital place yeah. <laughs> if you're doing respiratory with bruises down your fingers. If you're me, I don't know if anyone else. Um, but what I definitely say is that... What are you, are you hitting it with a hammer? <laughs> I don't know. I'm quite well, that's, that's, that's where you're going wrong, is he? <laughs> um, or maybe I just bring it easily, I don't know. Um, but I think my... Like, listening to all your experiences are interesting because I've had, in my first year especially, placements where I have been sitting outside the GP's office for most of the placement because none of the patients wanted me in the room, which is completely fair enough. And I think you just have to know not to be insulted by that. And like, you know, the GP will say, oh, sorry, this patient was having um, a breast exam. She's worried about cancer. Or, oh, um, you know, uh, this patient probably won't want to see you because she's recently gone through a bereavement. And I think you just have to kind of not be insulted if a patient says, actually, I'd rather not have you in the room. Like you put yourself in your sh- their shoes sometimes, and you're like, yeah. For me, it was great. I just got more time to eat my lunch. Um, <laughs> uh. So, Nikki, do we have a couple more questions before we? Um, start yeah. So, one up? thing that's come up a few times that I think is probably quite relevant for the incoming cohort is that we've spoken a lot about quite a few practical things that are that happen a lot for us in medical school and with things such as dissection and placements and stuff being cancelled because of covid how would you guys recommend they can make the most of online learning for medical school well they can listen to our the episode of the podcast that's about online learning um that andrew was in with me um so that would be my first tip um a little bit of self-promotion there um but no, i'm sure you guys have some have some excellent tips about online learning i'm actually an online learning novice because I spent the whole of last year working at the BMJ and not missing my placements which was very fortunate for me but it means I haven't done that much online learning I yeah I mean uh or you know you, you go I've done a podcast and already you go. <laughs> I mean I have been doing online learning I've had non-stop five days a week online learning since March and that is I, that's all my clinical experience has been online so far and my uh, go-to tip is 
invest in like I have a stethoscope I also have a blood pressure cuff and examine your your family and subject your housemates to it subject your flatmates to it because you can learn so much online like so you need to look for this you need to look for this you need to look for this but it's not going to mean anything if you can't actually look for it I, I'd say like a big one for me is I struggle with neurology like I, I can't get my head around it and I'll just look up on YouTube videos I'll just look up patient with x condition uh, and it just helps me put it into oh okay that's what the patient would be like and in a way that's quite good because sometimes you could be looking on a hospital neurology ward for a day and not find a patient with expressive aphasia but you look on youtube and there's about 10 to choose from and that's how i get it in my head like oh okay yeah that makes sense i know what that is now and it, i say that actually it's quite beneficial this online thing into going into when you can go into clinical you're more prepared because there's nothing worse than, I don't know if you guys have experienced it, is turning up to a placement and getting grilled by a consultant and not knowing <laughs> any of the answers <laughs> or anything. Um, so I know in first year it's going to be hard, like, because you haven't had any experience of it. But talk to people in your older years will hopefully make themselves known to you. Like, I know loads of medical schools and people are doing online webinars about, you know, teaching with certain clinical skills and things. And they're really useful to turn up to and just sit there and go, oh, okay, a bit more insight. We did uh, online stuff in Scott Gym before lockdown. So we were doing, you know, stuff in face-to-face, you know, for, you know, a couple of days a week. And then also we usually have like a day, you know, free for us to go and catch up on like lectures. And we would have uh, a mix of things being streamed live, maybe like one or two. And the rest was like already pre-recorded by um, uh, the faculty beforehand. So if you're in that position where you've got uni work that's, pre-recorded like try and avoid doing a day of like nine lectures like it's not going to go well and you're going to hate it um so try and like break it up try and like structure it in a way where you're not going to be sitting for ages you know in your bed don't do it in your bed like try and like make it seem like (laughs) try and make it seem like you're actually going to try and learn something because if you do it in your bed or on the couch something like that like you know it's just not going to work and try and break it up and uh and if you don't like it that's fine too because like some people really don't like the online stuff and some people like love it it's like their dream and also about like actually clinical things like hands-on stuff like if you're in first and second year like you'll get that when you can like and, and don't worry about missing out on that because as we've said like, it's so vast and there's so much in the course that although it's obviously like a key part of being a doctor like it's not as important in the first couple of years and, and you'll, you'll get caught up in the uni will do stuff to sort of you know get that get that in and yeah geeky medics is great Every, and like md who says they don't watch geeky medics or some sort of online youtube video of how to do any exam or, or whatever like, you know, like everyone does and every, even people like do it while doing it so like yeah it's a great way to like sort of get a visual idea of like okay this is what i actually do when i'm doing this exam and yeah if you've got um well in subjects in your flat or in your house like definitely take advantage of it coming to the end of our time together I'm afraid um so to finish off I wanted to ask the three of you um looking back on your first year at medical school or looking Richie at all of the first year medical students who you have um guided through their first year of medical school um what would be the top tip you would give to your first year self um about their kind of academic life at medical school because 
I think mine would be if I could tell my 18 year old self something I would say do not worry that you're completely baffled because you are going to be but it will be okay <laughs> lean into the confusion lean into the bafflement because some of it will eventually start falling into place but it's very disconcerting if you're not used to that kind of feeling mm-hmm. I think um but it will be okay I say don't be afraid to ask for help when you need it whether that be to your friends to your tutor to your lecturer like you might not like going up to the front of a like people who can go up to the front of a lecture hall and ask the lecturer a question after a lecture or put their hand up in a lecture I look at you like ah how (laughs) but you can always email them and they're not going to bite your head off it means that you're interested in their subject um and don't be afraid as well to ask for help about how you're feeling about things it's a change and I mean, people say you don't, but everyone gets homesick. I still get homesick into my fourth year. <laughs> um, what about you, Andrew? What's your what would you what would you tell your first yourself? Uh, it's not that deep. Don't worry about it. Like <laughs> the medicine's not that deep. Like uh, it will still be fine. Uh, odds on, whoever you are, if you're starting medicine, you're not going to be top of the class. Don't worry about it. Doesn't matter, and no one will care when you graduate probably um so yeah just enjoy it like uh, like you're there to enjoy it as a first year expectations of you are so low don't worry about it and just like have a good time and yeah be kind to yourself and all that sort of stuff (laughs) and what about you richie you've got the you've got the final word you've got the final words of wisdom i i mean i think uh, you know it kind of encompasses everything i think don't drown I think if you if you're feeling like you're drowning, uh, there's either something wrong or you're not doing it right. Uh, no one should feel you know you might as you said Anna you might feel a bit baffled by it all, but you need to fairly quickly get used to feeling like that. And as Andrew says, just enjoy it and take it for what it is and recognise that everybody's going to feel like that. I think if you really do feel like you're struggling, you're probably doing it wrong. You know, and and everyone talks about their university years as the best years of their lives, and you know the kind of social aspect of it, and and that's a big part of what you're there for so you, you need to do all that stuff as well and if you're really 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 struggling you go as Izzy says put your hand up and speak to somebody and that might be because you know you're kind of feeling a bit off and a bit unwell yourself or, or more than likely you're, you're kind of doing it wrong you're kind of trying to keep up with the pace uh, and, and not being efficient about it and the worst thing that most students do is if they feel that they're slipping or they're falling behind or they're struggling they usually just do more uh, and actually the chances are it, it, it's not doing it, it's it's doing more of what's not working never works for anybody so if, if the way you're studying isn't working doubling the amount of hours you're doing every day never works you've got to find a different way of doing it so if you're finding that you don't have time to socialize and you don't have time to do your sports and you don't have time to keep yourself well then then you're doing it wrong and and as Izzy says no one uh, you know almost all your lecturers are more than happy to to get emails from students to ask about how to go about things. People don't generally volunteer to be lecturers if they don't like students and they don't like interaction with students. So, uh, you know, put your hand up, chat to people, chat to your colleagues and, and don't struggle. If you're struggling, there's a, there's a reason for it and you need to sort it out.
that's all from us on Sharp Scratch today. Um, thank you guys so much for joining me in our first ever live episode. Um, for everyone listening slash watching, it's weird to be addressing people who are actually watching and not just listening. Um, if you'd like to hear more from us and listen to some of our previous episodes, um, including the online learning episode that we mentioned earlier, um, you can subscribe to Sharp Scratch wherever you get your podcasts. Um, you can also find BMJ Student on social media, um, on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Uh, we'd love to know what you thought about this evening using the hashtag Sharp Scratch on Twitter and Instagram. Um, and it would be really cool if you could go and leave a rating and a review of the podcast on Apple Pods or wherever else it is that you listen to podcasts as it helps other people find us. And if you've enjoyed um, the event tonight, we are going to be running a very similar event this time next week where we're going to be talking a little bit about the social side of medical school. So if that's something that you're interested in hearing about our experiences um, socialising during our first year at medical school, um, please do join us. We would love to see you again there. But until then, it's goodbye from all of us. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for having me. <laughs>